0: You know that sinking feeling in your stomach when you carve into the turkey at Thanksgiving and it's still raw in the middle?
1: No, I don't. I'm a food professional. <laughs> I write cookbooks.
0: What do you do? <laughs> well, it happens to people. They tell us this. They're always telling us things like this. Of
1: course. Of course I've cut into things and they've been raw and it's been embarrassing. Or what about when you try to make cookies and they're like flat pancakes? Oh, I hate that. They I hate spread. When that and all of a bad. sudden the entire baking sheet is just one big flat cookie which
0: is actually then you could turn it into a cake or something uh, but it's not a cookie so anyway yeah. mark and i have some tips that can help with these and other common cooking
1: accidents and mistakes hi i'm bruce weinstein and i am mark scarborough and this is the 193rd episode oh my god of cooking with bruce and mark except we're not cooking today we're taking some advice from one of our listeners. Um, someone wrote in and they ask us about common cooking mistakes. And so they actually specifically ask about softening cream cheese when a recipe asks for it. But we've got some more mistakes in the in the queue here. Yeah, well, so, but,
0: but we'll do that one first. Okay. So, sorry. Yeah. so she thinks it's a mistake that people I love the way she worded it because she said people refuse to soften their cream cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And, and, and is is that a mistake? <laughs> So if you're making a cheesecake or you're making a recipe that calls for cream cheese, it's gonna ask you to soften it for a couple of reasons. Right. I mean, it'll be easier to blend in the sugar and the eggs if you're making a cheesecake. That's yeah. really key. Because otherwise, you're gonna end up with a cheesecake where you cut slices and you see little dots of white cream cheese that didn't get
1: blended in, and that is really disgusting. It is. Totally and disgusting. there are other applications. It's, you know, it's not actually disgusting. I mean, it is disgusting. It's disgusting visually. Yeah. But not it doesn't. No,
0: well, it won't taste is disgusting. disgusting. It's just gonna look unprofessional. It just looks weird. It looks like you used cottage cheese. Oh. And there is nothing worse than cottage cheese. I'm sorry, if you're a cottage cheese lover,
1: there's pretty much... When I was a kid, my mother made lasagna with cottage cheese. That's how she... We didn't have ricotta. Listen, I grew up in the South, and ricotta was not a thing. Ricotte. Ricotte. Was not a thing.
0: In a lasagna.
1: In a (laughs) lasagna. And we... nor in a manicot or ravioli. What is it with Italian Americans that drop a okay, bowl off the vowel off? Please don't write in. Please don't write in. <laughs> um, anyway, my mother used cottage cheese in in lasagna. All right,
0: true confessions. There was a period in junior high where I was addicted to pineapple flavored cottage cheese.
1: Oh!
0: <laughs> I ate it by the bucket. God. But now I think it's disgusting. Oh my god. But I there are. I know
1: there was such a thing.
0: Mm-hmm. No. So there are other cream cheese applications. Like, let's suppose you have some beautiful smoked salmon, and you want not just regular cream cheese, but you want to make some chive cream cheese. So you get some fresh cut chives or even some dehydrated chives, and you want to mix them in. You can't mix them into cold cream cheese, it's not going to work. So the cream cheese needs to be at room temperature. And then you will have chive cream cheese on smoked salmon on a bagel. Right. And if you have not listened to our bagel making episode, Please, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it and you can make your own bagels, especially because Rosh Hashanah is
1: coming up. Oh, nice. Let nice. Thank you. Suddenly you've turned into your Uncle Harry. <laughs> um, that's good. He was six foot four, too, by the way. Uh, Uncle Harry mm-hmm. was? Mm-hmm. Wasn't he? He's the one married to Aunt Etchy or something. Aunt yes,
0: he was married to Etchy and she was about five foot four. I,
1: I like Maybe four foot Aunt four. Itchy. <laughs> Aunt Itchy and Uncle Harry. Um. Anyway, uh. Yeah. Great. They fight. They, uh, fight. they fight. They fight. They fight. They fight. Okay. Now. Now that's copyrighted. We're gonna get sued. Um. So. Uh, yeah. Go back and look at that big. Or and then. But there's also a rest, uh, Podcast. Sorry. A recipe. A podcast. A uh, few episodes back, in which we talk about the finessing of that bagel recipe. So you might want to check that out too, yep, right? It's sure. a few episodes back from here. And it's about finessing the bagel recipe. Okay, but anyway, all this is around to say that softening butter is another matter entirely. A lot of recipes still to this day call for room temperature butter. And um, this is a odd quirk of recipes. And I want to first of all say why they do. They do because in the convenience fifties and sixties, um, like when my mom um, mixers were mostly hand mixers. People didn't have these big stand mixers that we know, a lot of us have now. So they had hand mixers, and hand mixers can't handle cold butter. And so this this thing happened of softening the butter to room temperature, but it's actually not right. It's right? a mistake to use room temperature butter for most cookie for recipes. cookies and cakes, and ba- cake batters and cookies, both of them, for yeah, most of them.
0: Yeah, because if the butter's room temperature and you're beating sugar into it, you're trying to cream it, um, you're not going to get very much air, right. and it's going to be very dense. Whereas if the butter's cold, it'll trap a lot of air in it. And the difference between a uh, butter that has a lot of air versus not a lot of air is going to be cookies that are flat right. versus cookies that aren't flat.
1: Well, and there are—I will say that there are some cake recipes and some quick bread recipes where they you're actually trying to make less— you're trying to have less loft. How's that? Right, because
0: you want a dense, chewy right. banana and that, in that
1: something. case. Right. Room temperature butter is right, but for 90% of the cakes out there that we all make and 90% of the cookies, you actually want the butter. It doesn't have to be cold from the refrigerator. The best thing I always say is put the butter on the counter, drag everything else that you're going to need to make the recipe out, and then use that butter.
0: So the mistake is not actually what the home cooks are doing as much as what many cookbook authors and recipe writers do. So when people ask us all the time when we do Q&As and events, you know, what can I do to make my cookies less flat? The first thing we always say is use cold butter, and that will really help. Right. Okay. Else? Well, at the opening of the show, we talked about that raw Thanksgiving Yum. turkey. Yum. Yep, that and so it's underdone. And love turkey sushi. And otherwise, you go to slice it, and it shards apart into things because you've overcooked it. Oh. So I don't know which is worse. I guess underdone is overdone is worse because underdone uh, you can put right, it back I'd, in the I'd oven.
1: Seriously, rather eat turkey sushi.
0: <laughs> well, you can always put it back in the oven uh. and have cooked turkey. So there's really only one way. One way to make your meat be perfect every single time you cook with it, right. and that is… I An mean, instant read meat thermometer. And, you know, we've been saying this for years. We have been the fans of the instant read meat thermometer for years. It is the only way to cook.
1: I know. You see all these people that are doing these things, and I see them on cooking shows where it's like, oh, if it feels like this part of my hand, it's this. And if it's this part of my hand, it's that. And I look, I honestly, don't have their hand here I, to I, Right. Thank you. I don't have your hand. And I assure you, my 957-year-old grandmother's hand feels different than my hand, which feels different than my 13-year-old nephew's hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all, it's ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. The it's a thermometer. The whole point is a thermometer will tell you when a steak is done to your liking. I mean, for me, I like a steak so that a good vet could save the animal. Default. <laughs> well, that's true. Well, yeah.
0: and that's actually, what that comes to is about 120 degrees. And look, we've seen... 120? Her- Yeah, I take yours out at 120, and those are rare. Those are blue. Look, we've seen cows walking around in in really hot weather at 120, (laughs) so they can handle it.
1: (laughs) I thought you told me you took it off at 127. No, that's me.
0: That's why I like it at 127. I took yours at 120. Well, I've even started telling waiters in restaurants really, really
1: rare burgers
0: too. I've told waiters in restaurants that I like my steak cooked to one twenty seven and they'll uh, go, Oh, so you want it meat? I'm like, No, I want it one twenty seven and just
1: getting them in trouble with chefs. And I because well but we have chef just, friends who said they'd like that. No, no, they told you that. But then when I pressed them on it, they said they would kill a waiter who came into the kitchen and said that. <laughs> they told that you that because you they're your friend. But no, you can't order steaks by temperature in restaurants, although I wish you could. Yeah. But honestly you stick that meat thermometer halfway into the cut. You'd make sure you miss the bone in any way uh, just so it's right in the main part of the meat and then you take its temperature
0: but take the meat out of the oven like if you have a roasting pan in the oven put it on top of the stove and you take the temperature so that the ambient heat around that oven that 300 degrees doesn't affect it the same thing with the grill take the steak off the grill onto a cutting board and then stick the thermometer in you know that right because if you stick it in while it's on the grill the 700 degree ambient temperature is going to throw things off that's right so another common mistake we see all the time is people who refuse to cook with high heat. Yeah. I don't, I don't get this. it.
1: I don't either. I don't get it. We see this in cooking house all the time. People are scared of high heat. Now, I want to tell you that I'm scared of high heat, too. And I don't turn it up to high, but I always turn people's burners up. When it says medium, honestly, put it in the middle of your dial. I, I see people put it, you know, near low, When it says medium, and medium, and you can even fudge it a little higher than that. Um, Chefs, of course, are going to turn it all up to the top. Oh,
0: their burners are just on high all the time, and they take pans on and put them off. The trick is that you can't put it on high and walk away. You can't, that if if you're sautéing onions and it says a high heat or medium high heat, use it. But stand there and stir them and stir them because you want to make sure you get a nice little brown crust. Or if you're searing a chicken breast or you're searing a steak or you're searing a burger, searing's not going to happen on low. It's only going to happen on high. And I've even seen this happen in my mom's house. She was cooking for us once and she was reducing a sauce. And dinner <laughs> was delayed like 45 minutes. And I was like, what's going on? She said, right. this, it, this says to reduce the sauce. It should take 10 minutes. And it's been 45, and it's not reducing. She had it on the tiniest simmer possible because she was afraid of it boiling. It gave me time to drink more wine. And so you got to use your high heat. It still gave me time yeah. to drink more wine. So let's talk about baking mistakes, shall we? Uh,
1: well, actually, I don't know that this is a mistake so much as it's a quirk. Okay. And that is that it seems like... and. Um, we got this information or we were spurred onto this. By another cookbook author who made the claim that every cookbook author should explain how they measure the flour. Since in America, we refuse to do the weights with the oh, grams. Isn't that is
0: silly? You know, all silly. American cookbooks have a cup of flour. And all European cookbooks will say X grams of flour. Right. Okay. But One since is more we're not going to go
1: 160 grams of flour, since we're not, right. you have to state, I think, a good cookbook author has to state how... They measure flour. And And Bruce, how do you
0: measure flour? See, well, let me just say that the reason I'm saying it's like, how do you measure flour? Because if you stick a measuring cup into a pot of flour and then pull it up and shake it flat, right, so the excess falls off, you're going to have a very dense cup of flour. Right. If you dip it in so it's overflowing and then scrape off the top, you're going to have a very light cup of flour. And And that's a huge
1: difference. It's better if you dip it in and press it against the side of the canister. Right. Then you have a really dense. Then you do. I
0: used to do that, and I stopped doing that because that became problematic. So now what we do in our books is we dip and we scrape. And that is if you follow what the cookbook author says they do then you'll get the right results and the only way to know how they're doing that is to do what is to
1: read the introduction
0: something nobody does and that's another mistake people make when they're cooking they don't
1: read the introductions of books this is mark and i'm the writer of our cookbooks versus the chef and i know i spent a lot of blood sweat and tears on the introductions and i know that most people blow right past them. and i know that because oh god here i go I do too. I blow right past the introduction. I blow right over to the recipes. We get a new cookbook in, you know, Bruce just got a bunch of Chinese cooking books in. I Did I look at the introduction? No, I didn't look at the introduction. I blew right through to the recipes and we're looking at the recipes. That's actually a mistake. And I'll admit that I make that mistake too because the introduction is gonna tell you the author's biases. It's gonna tell you how the author does things like that yeah. dipping of flour. I mean, again, we Bruce just, I've watched him. He dips the cup in. Into the flour lifts it up and scrapes it off without yeah. pressing the cup against the side of the bag or the, or the canister it's it's all of that's in the introduction and that's a good introduction will inform you about the biases and variations available inside the book it yeah, will okay our last tip to fix a common cooking mistake do not salt Soup or stew when you first set it to cook. Over mm, the mm, hours mm, that mm. the liquid is going to reduce, it's going to concentrate all the flavors, including the natural salts. Some things have naturally occurring salt in them. And some ingredients, like let's say there's Worcestershire in there, are salt. Or canned tomatoes. Or, might have salt in them. or soy sauce. Right. Oh, it's yeah. going to condense and reduce all of those. Plus the natural occurring salts in uh, meat, vegetables, what have you. So. You should do what?
0: You should cook it till it's almost done, then taste it for salt and adjust it then. Because if you adjust it for salt at the very beginning, right. it's going to be way too salty later on. Yeah, that's right. And yes, we hear all the time that people say, oh, I have a fix for that, right? Just put a potato in the no. soup. It'll absorb all the extra salt. No, does that, that work, Mark? No,
1: that does not work. <laughs> First not? of all, you can put a potato in a soup and it will absorb some salt Over a long period of time, and it will absorb the salt that is in contact with the potato in the liquid, but it will not take the salt out of a soup. It's not like a
0: potato is not a salt tampon.
1: No. Oh. Good God. No, it's not. And my hunch is that what happens is that people in the past have put potatoes in soups, and all they've done is basically increase the volume of ingredients, thereby making the soup less salty overall. But there's nothing magic about that potato in a soup. So don't do that. Just do what we do, which is that when you, especially in soups and stews, don't salt them till the end. Salt, taste them on the stove when they're ready to serve and then salt them.
0: If you have any other cooking questions or you'd like some help with some things, you need some tips or answers, write us. Write us on via our website, bruceandmark.com, and we might
1: include what you ask in one of our episodes of Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And subscribe to this podcast, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, here on iTunes or iHeartRadio or where else are we? I don't even. Stitcher. Stitcher. Wherever you get your your podcast,
0: you please subscribe. You won't miss a single episode. And you
1: can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. You can connect with us directly on social media at Facebook uh, under Bruce Weinstein or Mark Scarborough or on Instagram under Bruce A. Weinstein or Mark Scarborough. In any way, we would love to connect with you. And we hope to see you back here on Cooking with Bruce and Mark.